Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffenroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm going to be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. You are going to want to meet my guest today, Anne Lampfear. I have been so excited for this interview after meeting her and learning about her story and what she does. And I'm really excited to share it with you today. 40 years ago, Anne adopted her daughter from India who came with reactive attachment disorder. Anne has lived with her daughter's recurring trauma ever since. She has PTSD, but she says she hasn't let it rule her life. What she's done is turn her life around and become an advocate for every child whose first adoptive placement hasn't worked out. Anne has a master's degree in social work, 25 years in adoptions, nine years as an adoption agency director, three years college instructor, two adoption books written, and she's also taught college and adoption courses. The last 11 years, Anne's been the main social worker for Wasatch International Adoptions, the Second Chance for Kids program. Second Chance works with families of rad kids to legally find new homes for them. And I will be posting links on my Facebook page, Rad Talk with Tracy, so that you can learn more and uh, find out more about Anne and the work that she's doing. And like I say, I've been really excited to chat with you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I've been looking forward to it too. Good. So Anne, we've got a lot to talk about because you have a rad story yourself as a rad parent and also a big story about what you're doing now. Do you want to talk about or share a bit about the adoption of your daughter? Uh, that's a good way to start because that's where it really did start was I was I didn't have a college degree at the time. All I was was a secretary. And I went to uh, read a book you know, called They Came to Stay. They came to stay. They came to stay. That's the name of the book. It's actually on sale at uh, Amazon for nine hundred and forty dollars for a new copy. Wow, <laughs> that's how old it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, and it the book itself was about a single adoptive parent who adopted a child from Korea and then one from China. And I'm going, they do that back in 1976. Wow. And I said, okay, if they'll do it, I'll go find out if I can do it. Because you were and a single was, parent at that time, right? I'm still a single parent. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. And, but the thing was, is that I found that nobody in Utah had ever done a single adoptive parent domestically or internationally. Okay. There were a couple of lawyers at that time that were doing international. So there was, I was never the first one of that ilk. 
Gotcha. But I actually became the first single parent, single adoptive parent for an agency called Children's Service Society. When I went to see them, the woman said, the social worker said, we've never done this before. Let's try it. And okay. that approved. Then she left the agency. Then I had several other uh, social workers, most of them who said single adoptive parents. No, 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 that won't work. And so I got mad and went to the state of Utah. They wanted to throw me out, but I also had three home studies by that time that said I was approved. I see. <laughs> so I became the first single adoptive parent in the state of Utah for the state of Utah uh, agency. That's incredible. So it was kind of funny, but it took four years to almost do that. Wow. When I, nothing was happening, I decided to become a foster parent, became a foster parent, had one child who robbed me. Second child, she stayed with me until my daughter from India came. She was like 16 when I got her and oh, wow. had a good relationship, still do. Uh, she was a good kid. Nice. The one that's, they asked me if I wanted to take the other one that stole from me, and I said, oh, no, <laughs> not happening. <laughs> And then I got, uh, somebody told me to try India because they were single, placing kids with single adopted parents at that time. So I joined that one and my agency at that time, the internationals were taking home studies from the States. And so I applied and got approved from my international mission of hope. Okay. What happened then was when I got the phone call, you know, that phone call, oh my gosh, I was so excited. Oh yeah. They asked me if I'd like a five-year-old boy. Yeah, I would take the five-year-old boy. I have two nephews. I, we did a lot of sports stuff. So I figured a boy would fit really well. Right. Then I get a, you know, I get a call from the agency that works with that agent, International Mission of Hope and said, Oh, I got a picture of, of your child, and she's beautiful. <laughs> she? I went, she? <laughs> she is supposed to be a he. No, mm. this is a girl. She's 10 years old, and she's beautiful. Hmm. When I looked at the picture, I thought, there's trouble there. Don't ask me why I knew. Don't ask me why. Then I get, when she finally gets released from Calcutta, because the the new magistrate there decided Americans were stealing their children for slavery or whatever. I'm not sure why. Right. But it took him from February to June to release the kids. That was they about were, five months? Yeah, about that. Okay. She gets on a plane and she derives my 10-year-old girl turns out I get a call from the agency director in International Mission of Hope, who says, oh, by the way, she's probably closer to 13 or 14. Oh, geez. Now I'm really having issues. Because I how did my five-year-old boy turn out to be a 14-year-old girl? Mm -hmm. And I think she was. And I she really was already she was. on the plane by that time? or She was on the plane. Oh, my gosh. On June 13th, which was a Friday. <laughs> Very fitting. You know how uh, I said I should have seen that coming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she gets off the plane, and my uh, foster child Susan 
went with me and, and my sister to pick her up. And she immediately, Kara immediately glommed onto Susan. That should have been my first clue that there was problems. But at that point, I was not educated enough to know that. Right. Because a lot of uh, rad kids will attach to an older child in the home and not to the parents. Hmm. And part of that is orphanage behavior. You know, it's really, it's really a, a problem that nobody knows. Right. When they're adopting children, you get a child from a foreign country, they've either been in an orphanage or they've been in foster care. Uh, a lot of them have been shifted around several times. Right. And so they see often, somebody their age or close to, and that's what they know. And so that's who they connect exactly with. Or mm-hmm. That's exactly it. Okay. Um, Susan decided it was time to move out. <laughs> <laughs> this is your foster daughter. That's my foster daughter. Yeah. Okay. She decided to uh, hit the trail because she was not going to be mom to this child. Right. Okay. So she felt that this child was really kind of sticking with her. Yeah. Okay. And it was not good. And like I say, Susan was a wonderful child and loved her per- loved her as much as any child would have been mine. And she loved me. Mm. Like I say, still does. Oh. We got in touch recently and it was, it was good. Oh, that's so. wonderful. And the book, it says she, we had met last touch, but she saw my book, saw some stuff with me on it and she got in touch with me again. So oh. it was really good. But Kara, no, Kara was, I always said that she always had trouble getting her days and nights (laughs) turned around because on the other side of the country, it was day when it was night. Right. Yeah, that would be a shock to the system. Yeah. And what's even funnier is is that it took her three months from the two and a half months, probably, in getting food and good care. She gained five inches or ten, eight. She was five foot exactly when after all this time she came at four foot two. Oh wow! So, yeah, so and she, she grew eight inches. Yeah, keeping her in clothes was an exciting thing. <laughs> <laughs> I said thrift stores are wonderful. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's incredible growth in such a short time. She was at that growth spurt era. Yeah. Time. She was not 10 years old. She was definitely in the 12 to 14. Right. Right. There you go. Yeah, that definitely. So that and getting the right kind of food, right nutrition. Right. It was just incredible. And but she was always trouble. And I will say that much. She was always trouble. She could steal from anybody. And we know she did. And I mean, she stole from me, she stole from my sister, she stole from Steve, my nephew that I live with. Right. It, it was just, I actually caught a, a guy uh, came to my house and said she had been over here visiting his house. And I'm going, who are you? Uh-oh. Yeah. And he said, well, she just stole $10 from me. Oh. Right. And I'm going, okay. So I paid him. 
had a nice chat with my daughter, which went <laughs> over her head, over her head. Yeah. Well, and somebody I read just recently that uh, some of these kids speak English just fine, but have no clue what they're saying because they come up, especially when that's 14, they have trouble with understanding the English language sure. because of, they've spoken their language. I still remember them trying to, the school district decided we had to find somebody who spoke her language. That they thought was Bengali because she was adopted from Calcutta. Okay. She was not from Calcutta. It was Chittagong. Yeah. It was Chittagong, which is Bangladesh. Okay. Um, Not Calcutta. Not Calcutta, which she was speaking Hindi, not Bengali. Oh. But they, the school district with no brains, <laughs> got somebody speaking get Bengali, and she would not talk to them. Did they realize that she wasn't speaking Bengali when the person, the translator came? They must have figured out. They kind of did. Okay. Because they asked her some specific questions, and she goes, no. Like, I don't understand. I don't right. understand. But like I say, she was not going to tell anybody where she was from Hmm. she had issues she was badly traumatized in india i talk about that a lot in the book i i wrote just wrote but it's people don't know what goes on and then the child comes and they can't tell you and a lot of families think that they can overcome all of that sometimes you can sometimes you can't I couldn't. It it actually took me three and a half years to find out where she actually came from, what her Indian name was, because what she came with was not her name. And it made it really hard to to really get to her. Right. And oh my God. And they said we always say when we were placing children with Wasatch, do not go out and buy them everything you can buy them because they get that entitlement. And of course I had to, she came with one outfit on. Right. We had to go buy her clothes, do everything possible to get her ready for the world. Right. And get her set up and settled with you. And yeah. And, and of course, we found out that she stole because uh, when we went to the grocery store when she was with me and my mother, uh, mom caught her stealing an apple. She was used to doing that. That's how she survived. I was just going to ask that. Yeah. And of course, my mother told her no. <laughs> and she immediately went into a catatonic state. Really? It's hard to describe unless you've seen it. I've actually had a couple of clients that have seen their kid do that. That is an orphanage behavior or a self-protection behavior, usually from people who've been, from kids who've been sexually abused. And she would just stand there. Her her eyes would roll back in her head and she'd be gone. Wow. <laughs> oh yeah. Is that disassociation? That disassociation. And it lasted for about nine months until I really lost my temper one day. (laughs) And she did it to me just standing by the sink. And I can still see this. And she did it to me. And I put my hands up in front of her face 
and clapped my hands and says, don't do ever, don't you ever do that again. And mm. it worked. And it worked. And it worked. Amazingly, it worked. Wow. But the poor kid, she had no clue what was going on. And like I say, it took me three and a half years to find out what actually happened. Her story. Yeah. And that, that like I say, parties, Christmas, birthday parties, anything we had, she was off the wall. She'd get hyper. She would get angry. Mm. She'd start picking a fight with me or my mother. It didn't matter which. However, she liked my sister and was one of those kids that would go to my sister and be the best kid in the world. Right. And was your sister around very much or is that why? Well, is because... No, she was. She actually lived down the street from us. Okay. Uh, we had a mobile home. All three of our, my parents, my sister and her husband and myself, we all had mobile homes at the time. Okay. And we were all in the same park. So we were like five minutes away. From Neighbors. <laughs> yeah. And, and was that done, nice because you had some support, your mom and your sister nearby? Yeah. Yeah. And the boys were there. And, and so we had a, a, a really nice support system. Mm-hmm. And like I say, Myra, my sister would take her and Kara and give me a break. Because you see how, how worn out I was getting. Right. Absolutely. You could talk to that kid for hours and she'd go, yes, I understand. I understand. I understand. Tell I wanted to say, tell me you don't understand if you don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. She never did. It was, I understand. I understand. And then she'd go back to doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's mind blowing. And People don't realize it. Like I say, a lot of these kids survive wonderfully. And we see that all the time. They get two or three kids from another country and every one is a great one. And then they decide to adopt the third or fourth one. And what do they get? They get a child who is absolutely not what they expected because they've had other kids. I had no no inclination of what the child was going to be like from a different country. It was learned on the go, as the story goes. Yeah. But we did okay. And then I made the mistake of adopting a second child. And that child and I had a had a bond. I mean, oh. from the time I met her until the time I had to send her back. Now, was this another international adoption? And no, this no. was a foster care adoption. Okay. Uh, I had to laugh. The social worker that I had for the international one decided, hey, I wasn't a bad mother at all. I guess if you go for the second one and you want to do it here in the United States, we can do that. Oh, jeez. So I adopted this little, she was like a 14 or 15 year old. Okay, I another teenager another teenager. I don't mind teenagers. I like teenagers. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. Um, and I didn't care, but this one's name was Kim. I always said I had th- three kids, Kara, Kim, and Kentucky, my cat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All case. All case. That's cute. And, and it, it, but Kim was from South Carolina and I went to pick her up and I don't fly. I had a problem when I first flew when I was a teenager and uh, never wanted to get on the plane. Oh, Still then. Wow. Uh, 
but I went on a train because I love trains. Had a wonderful train trip, except that the, the, the engineers went on strike. Oh no! While I'm in the middle of getting to Colorado. No. Mm-hmm. And so they went from going 70 miles an hour to 50 miles an hour at max, oh. and most of the time 40. So I missed my connection in Chicago. Oh. <laughs> and all the trains that would have gone to South Carolina were part of the union strike. Oh, no. So they sent us on a train to, train to uh, New York. And then from New York, we went on a day train to D.C. And from D.C., we went to South Carolina. Wow, what a detour. <laughs> yeah, it was a detour, but it was, you know, to pick up the kid and the kid and I, I mean, it was like we'd been, to, should have been together forever. Wow. And I really feel that way. Um, we and that met. must have felt really good after what you'd been through. I know. With your first daughter. Uh-huh. And we got back on the trains coming home and we got a layover in D.C. for six hours. And that's the only time I've been to D.C., but it, I made best of it even though I hadn't slept the night before. <laughs> but we got on the, uh, did a tour bus going around the mall of the D at DC, which was fun. Yeah. And we talked and we talked and we talked and we talked. That kid was amazing. And like I say, we had similar likes, similar things. She wanted to play baseball. She wanted to do uh, sports stuff for girls and right. loved horses. And I loved horses. I still do. Now, how old and, was Kara at this time? Kara was still with you when mm -hmm. him came? And that was, she turned legally 14. Yeah. Okay. And, but she was still underage. She was still 12. Right. So it was really bad. I got Kim the last part of August. And then I just took a look at my other kid who Kim and Kara did not get along. That was, a, that was immediate war. Hmm. Also, that's also why we place children with other families. We make sure that the child going is the youngest child in the family hmm. and that they're not having children and adopting again until that child has been with the home for over a year. Gotcha. Because gotcha. It's, it's important. And of course, I didn't know that either. Right. So you were an, a rad mom. What happened to Kara? And then how did you, what were you doing during this time? Because now you work with kids and families. And that's what I'm so excited also for everybody to hear. Um, but what happened with, so Kim came into the home. They're not getting along. Uh, what happened from there? Hi, Rad Parents. I'm excited to announce a new collaboration. The Rad community is getting bigger and better. The Rad Talk with Tracy podcast is now collaborating with an organization called Rad Advocates. Rad Advocates is a nonprofit organization and it was founded by a mom who raised a child with reactive attachment disorder. Rad Advocates educates and advocates to equip families, professionals, and communities to effectively support children with Rad. They exist to build a future where families have the help they need and deserve to raise children with RAD while preserving the mental health and physical safety of their families as a whole. RAD Advocates, guiding from experience, 
leading for change. Learn more at radadvocates.org. Well, like I say, I turned around to look at my daughter. She was standing sideways and I looked at her and went, oh my goodness, you look like you're pregnant. And I took her to the doctor and she was six months. I almost fell off the floor. Wow. On the chair to the floor because I went, what? How did this happen? Mm-hmm. Tara had no idea what was happening to her body. Oh, she did me. not know she was pregnant. She did not. She felt funny. Mm-hmm. She, but she didn't feel like telling me how she felt because that was been against her rules. Mm-hmm. And when she found out she was, when I found out she was pregnant, I had to sit down with her social worker. I had to sit down with Kim and explain that I had finalized with Kara. She was my child. I had to take care of her and I needed to disrupt the adoption. And Kim and I both cried. And we, it's like I say, it was a good match. It was a good, better match than Kara ever would have been. But we got to the point of her having a baby. She had the baby at three o'clock in the afternoon. At one o'clock in the morning, or three o'clock in the morning, she was raped in the hospital. Yeah, that's my trauma. I keep going and going. Oh and going my and going. gosh! So let me clarify. My brain is trying to take this all in. So you couldn't, you had to disrupt the adoption with Kim from South Carolina. So you couldn't adopt her because you had your daughter, Kara, to look after with her pregnancy. She gave birth and then was raped in the hospital. Yep. Yep. We, of course, we sued the hospital and won a uh, bunch of money, but, but it was, it was just, it just went from bad to worse. Right. And I always say, I, I always, I missed 1983. Mm. Cause she had the baby in January of 1983. And the rest of that year was a blur because it was get her to the police department, get her get an attorney, get the, you know, all sorts of stuff that you have to deal with emotionally her part mostly my part it oh was my just gosh I it can't was awful even imagine yeah awful doesn't even cut it I don't think does it and uh, of course I lost my job because I had to spend so much time dealing with her issues mm-hmm. but our attorney got uh, uh, children's uh, primary children's hospitals mental group to take care of us so I had somebody to talk to besides my family. It was it was just time, time gone. Time and gone. you know, it just kept going and kept going. And we got her back in school. I always laugh about that one. I got her she went into junior high that year. And I remember specifically finding it was amusing because she had a class on Utah history and I'm a history buff. Mm. Okay. They let her bring her homework then, and I said, she can't do it. She doesn't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to her. Well, maybe you can answer it. I got the highest grade in the class. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's that kind of thing, but we decided to pull her out of that and get her into a regular, into a private school where she would get some Mm one-on-one instruction, which was a good move. Was it? 
yeah. Um, I think the best education she had was while she was doing that. She did better with the one-on-one and more attention. Yeah. 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 And, and they started her out at the bottom and worked her up. <clears throat> and she was doing really good. Good. <laughs> That's where everything goes downhill from there. Once she got really good and going to school, I was spending a lot of time in the car because they lived, the school was about 12 miles from where we live. Oh, wow. Across town. Mm-hmm. So I had, I would pick up a whole bunch of kids and take them and then somebody else would bring them home. Oh, a carpool. Smart. Yeah. A carpool, but I had to find a job that would fit in the carpool. Oh, right. I was working part-time and my parents were supporting us really at the time because uh, it just kind of went all together and it was tough. It was a tough year. Then when she, in 84, we sold our house and moved into an apartment and that was good. And then, the, but we kept going to therapy and the therapist said to me one day, which why I understand now why therapy doesn't work on rad kids. She looked at me and she says, it's not working. Nothing is working with her. And was she working with Kara one-on-one? One-on-one. Mm-hmm. And then she'd do 15, 20 minutes with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it was it was kind of like, you bring her, we'll work with her. We'll get her something to do while you're talking to us, talking to her. And our therapist was really good. She was really a nice person. And I went, okay, what's going on? She says, she's not... She's not talking. She's not talking to us about the rape. She's not talking to us about her family life when she before. She's not talking about anything. I said, okay, because nothing's working at my house either. And she says, I got an idea. Let's put her in with a group of teenage girls. Because we have a, this really interesting group that seems to be, they're talking. We couldn't get these girls to talk, but now they're talking. And I says, oh, okay, you know, I'm okay with that. She says, what are you going to do about you? <laughs> she asked me what I wanted to do with my life. And I says, well, I kind of like to go to school, college. I had wanted to do that, but I couldn't afford it ever. Mm-hmm. So I got a student loan. So I started as a freshman. Mm-hmm. And in three and a half years, I got out of it. <laughs> I got to graduate. Yeah, in December of 1984, it was Christmas time, and I was at a little shop in the mall finding Christmas presents for the adoptive parent group that we belonged to. Mm. I belonged to that before, you know, I was on my about seventh year with that group. Wow. And so I was, we were getting some Christmas presents and stuff for uh, party favors and stuff, and I'm in this little tiny shop, which I think had maybe room enough for about four people in it, besides the clerk. And there's this cute little boy, uh, about, he was actually about 18 at the time, still, still was at, at later. And uh, she met him and uh, they started flirting and I'm going, uh, and I'm growling because I was going, I should have known at the time to find a different home for it, but there wasn't a program like Second Chance. Right. Because she decided she liked this guy and gave him our phone number. How old was she at this time? 
she was 14. She would be fifth. She would have been 15 at uh, in February of the, the next year in '85. Okay. okay. She met John, this guy named Johnny, and about after the first of the year, I decided to find her a school that was closer to our house, to our apartment, and where she could ride a bus. So I could work full time. Mm-hmm. Good idea. So I found this school about maybe a few miles away and the bus went right past the school. Perfect. So I get around the bus every morning. And sometime in January, I get this phone call. She hadn't been to school for a couple of days. Is she okay? Oh, I put her on the bus every morning. I found out she was getting off the bus two pay, two stops past. Oh, is this to meet Johnny? To meet Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. And I went, uh, no. And I come home one day and found him in my house making out. And I'm going, this could be trouble. I'm not a naive person of any kind. I'm pretty... <laughs> <laughs> I can say, I, I can look at somebody and know they're pregnant six months and, you know, I'm not naive about what she's going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Well, about uh, March of that year, I figured out that she might be pregnant again. And this was a lot sooner than the last time. And so I sat him down and said, okay. And Johnny had a good job. Johnny was working for his father. And so he was working for his father, making fair wages. Dad was even living with his dad. Now, about this time, Kara's getting close to being 18. So they've been together quite a while now? By that time? Oh, no. The story gets worse. Okay. I'm sorry. You're going to take forever. But it gets worse. (laughs) She marries Johnny. And uh, one night, and I call it the dark and stormy night, my sisters went to bed. and You call it a dark and stormy night? Yeah, it okay. was raining. It was raining and everything else. But Johnny had lived with my sister for the month before they got married. Oh, but John, she and Johnny got married, and like I say, about a couple of weeks after the wedding, my sister and her Herman went to bed. Steve was out doing something because he was a teenager at that time, and uh, he went. He went in. Went to bed, thought nothing about it. Meyer gets up the next morning, her purse is gone. Really? Yeah, it had been, she had this habit of leaving it on her kitchen table. Front door was unlocked. The kitchen, the purse was gone. They called the police, nobody had a clue. Mm. And then uh, about a week later, uh, the next door neighbors of the apartment where Johnny and Kara were living called the police because they were somebody was breaking into their storage shed. Oh no. Yeah. They actually shared the storage shed with Johnny and Kara. Oh. They were uh, asked who they thought the, the people were and they said our next door neighbors. And they arrested Johnny and left Kara but they invest, and questioned her about Johnny's behaviors. And she says, oh, they asked her if it, she would know about the theft of the purse. Right. Because they were investigating that at the time. 
And they said, well, I know where it's at. And they says, where? She says, Johnny threw it out in the field behind the apartments. Okay. That answered several questions. Who had the key? Johnny did. Who had the purse? Johnny did. Then they checked her bank account and it had been hit twice for $200 a piece. He had stolen a credit card that had a, a debit card, but he had also the code because when he had, he picked up the code because he was bringing in the mail and realized what it was. So he stuck it in his pocket and she didn't even know it was there. She didn't know he, it had come. And when he stole a purse, then he had the card. So he tried it at two banks, got some money. <sighs> so now Kara's living with Johnny and he got arrested because of stealing. So during this time you've gone to school because I want people to hear about what you do and you were a social worker. How did all of this kind of turn into what you do? Because when I heard about what you do, I know I wish I would have known about you so much sooner than I did. I know. Well, to wrap it up right now, they're both in prison. Okay. And it was a, a murder that he did. A murder? Yep. And the story gets longer and longer and longer even that before that happened. So um, there are parents of four kids that uh, three of them were placed with a single adoptive parent and adopted by them. They've had four kids, three adopted out. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things happened and led up to your daughter and son-in-law in jail. Was yeah. your daughter, was your daughter part of that murder or is she just kind of along for the ride? They got a, a care worker to come out to help with some food money and stuff. And Johnny was high on drugs and got carried away. And Kara was there trying to protect the kids. But in Arizona, the law is if you're there and don't do anything to try to stop it or like run, get some help, you're as guilty as the person doing it. I see. So they both went to jail. They're still there. And they murdered the care worker? He did. Mm -hmm. And took her jewelry and hocked it the same day. I mean, just awful. And as I say, the story is even, it, it's even worse, but we'll go on to that maybe some other time Yeah. <laughs> because it goes on and I go, even now, even now it goes on because I have PTSD, Kara calls Steve because I won't let her call me. You can't even hear her voice or talk with her. I talk with her if they're only allowed 15 minutes, so I'll talk with her about 10 because Steve will talk to her long enough to wait, wear some time out and then gives me the phone. Gotcha. But I spend the next hour or two just shaking. Do you? And it's, it's really not a good thing. And is that because, I mean, we've talked about, you know, a lot of behaviors, but, and the stress and being a single parent and 
raising your daughter with rad, but the PTSD, is it from all of those years of the experiences with your daughter or uh, did it get, you said it got worse um, once she was with Johnny. I mean, were they living at home? Were you feeling frightened? Um, You know, it, it's a different kind of thing than you think it could be. PTSD can be a lot of different things. Right. But mine is the fact that it keeps recurring mm-hmm. uh, things that they did back in 2014. I got a call from the police and they were in jail. Well, why are you calling me? Well, I'd like to come out and talk to you about them. Okay. And you find out things you don't, don't know and it just keeps building. Right. And so they were in jail before the murder. This was a separate incident. This was a separate incident that they were talking about that happened before the um, one in Arizona. This happened in Utah. Oh, I see. And they caught him, caught Johnny, because he had his five-year-old son, my grandson, and they stopped at this random house, asked if they could use the phone, and he went in and killed the woman. And that was in 1990, let's see, Johnny, uh, 1990. That was a, one of those uh, DNA cases uh, was solved by that. Because Josh is also in jail. Who's Josh? <laughs> huh? How Did old you is he? say Josh? Yeah, that's my grandson. Oh, your grandson. Okay, he's also in jail. Well, yeah, it, it's, I call it the sins of the fathers mm. because all of the boys, there's three boys and one girl, and all of the boys have either been in jail or out of jail several times. As I say, it's a long story and it gets longer and longer. Now, <laughs> like is this story your book? Because you've written a book. Can people get your book and read about your story? Yes, yes, they can. Okay. And what is your book called, Anne? It's called My Adoption Life, Living with a Reactive Attachment Disorder, Rad Child. Right. It's on Amazon. I can leave it up for 99 cents on the ebook. Okay. So it's an ebook on Amazon for 99 cents. And this is where you share this piece of your story or your entire story, not just a piece of it. Not just a piece of it. Mm. It's, it's a long, drawn out, like I say thing. Yeah. I do I do have uh, fun stuff in it. Thanks for listening everyone and I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.